Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 7, Part 1, Episode 17. Podcast 137 is entitled, The Giant or Goglio. In last week's episode, Una was led out of the forest by Saturain. When confronted by Sansloy, who sought the destruction of Una, Saturain attacks him. As the battle rages, Una flees, only to fall into the grasp of a greater enemy, Archimago, who lies to Una and says her Red Cross Knight is dead. We leave Una for a while in mortal danger. In this, the beginning of Canto 7, we again meet the Red Cross Knight, who, with the dwarf, fled the House of Pride. He is pursued by the evil Duessa, who is still seeking revenge for the death of her lover, Sansfoy. The Red Cross Knight encounters a giant. Canto 7 The Red Cross Knight is captive made by giant proud oppressed. Prince Arthur meets with Una greatly with those news distressed. Spencer contemplates the difficulty of discerning between good and evil in a world where evil can disguise itself as truth. In Isaiah 5, one is reminded of Isaiah's prophetic words. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. One's mind is also drawn back to the Red Cross Knight's first adventure where, ignoring the warning of Una, he gets too close to the dragon's lair. As he is wrapped in the long tail of the dragon, Spencer said, God help the man so wrapped in error's endless train. What man so wise, what earthly wit so ware, as to describe the crafty cunning train, by which deceit doth mask in visor fair, and cast her colors dyed deep in grain, to seem like truth whose shape she well can feign, and fitting gestures to her purpose frame. The guiltless man with guile to entertain, great mainstress of her art was that false dame, the false Duessa cloaked with Fidessa's name. When Duessa discovered that the Red Cross Knight had fled the House of Pride, she immediately searches for him, for she has not yet exacted her revenge. She finds the Red Cross Knight, his protective armor removed, resting by a fountain. The armor, remember, symbolizes the full armor of God spoken of by Paul, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the girdle of truth, the sword of the word of God, the feet shod with the gospel of peace. Without his armor, the Red Cross Knight is vulnerable to the wily temptations of Duessa. She discovered that she could not destroy him by force. Now she tries seduction. 
who, when returning from the dreary night, she found not in that perilous house of pride, where she had left the noble Red Cross Knight, her hoped prey. She would no longer bide, but forth she went to seek him far and wide. Ere long she found, whereas he wearied state to rest himself, for by a fountain's side disarmed all of iron-coated plate, and by his side his steed the grassy forage ate. As the Red Cross Knight cools himself in the shade, the witch Duessa reproaches him for abandoning her, thus appealing to his sense of chivalry. The crafty Duessa uses false virtue to carry out her plans to destroy the true virtue of the unsuspecting knight. She sweetens her gall with words dripping like honey. He feeds upon the cooling shade and bathes his sweaty forehead in the breathing wind which through the trembling leaves full gently plays. Wherein the cheerful birds of sundry kind do chant sweet music to delight the mind. The witch approaching gan him fairly greet and with reproach of carelessness unkind upbraid for leaving her in place unmeet with foul words tempering fair, sour gall with honey sweet. Duessa joins the Red Cross Knight in the shaded nook. It turns out, however, that the seemingly innocent scene is under an ancient spell. Unkindness passed they gan of solace treat, and bathe in pleasance of joyous shade, which shielded them against the boiling heat, and with green boughs decking a gloomy glade about the fountain like a garland made, whose bubbling wave did ever freshly well, knee ever would through fervent summer fade. The sacred nymph, which therein want to dwell, was out of Diane's favor as it then befell. The water is cursed. If the Red Cross Knight drinks the water, he loses all his powers. The cause was this. One day when Phoebe fair with all her band was following the chase, this nymph, quite tired with heat of scorching air, sat down to rest in midst of the race. The goddess wrath gan foully her disgrace and bade the waters which from her did flow be such as she herself was then in place. Thenceforth her waters wax dull and slow and all that drinks thereof do faint and feeble grow. The innocent Red Cross Knight is unaware of the ancient enchantment. He drinks generously from the stream. Immediately his former strength and courage drains from him. Hereof this gentle knight unweeting was, and lying down upon the sandy grail, drunk of the stream, as clear as crystal glass. If soon his manly force gan to fell, and mighty strong was turned to feeble frail. His changed powers at first themselves not felt, till crudled down his courage gan assail, and cheerful blood in faintness chill did melt, which like a fever fit through all his body swelt. In his weakened state he is overcome by Duessa's salacious advances, robbing him of his virtue, which is the strength of a knight. In his weakened state, he hears a ghastly sound coming toward them. He leaps to his feet, but his armor is out of reach, and he had no time to put it on. 
He was helpless against the hideous giant, three times taller than he was. Yet goodly court he made still to his dame, poured out in looseness on the grassy ground, both careless of his health and of his fame. Till at the last he heard a dreadful sound, which through the woods loud bellowing did rebound, that all the earth for terror seemed to shake, and trees did tremble. The elf therewith astound, upstarted lightly from his looser make, and his unready weapon gan in hand to take. But ere he could his armor on him dight, or get his shield, his monstrous enemy, with sturdy steps came stalking in his sight. An hideous giant, horrible and high, that with his tallness seemed to threat the sky. The ground eat groaned under him for dread. His living like saw never living eye, ne durst behold. His stature did exceed the height of three, the tallest sons of mortal seed. The name of the giant is Orgoglio, son of wind and earth. He symbolizes pride. The greatest earth his uncouth mother was, and blustering Aeolus his boasted sire brought forth this monstrous mass of earthly slime, puffed up with empty wind and filled with sinful crime. Orgoglio's gigantic stature represents his inflated ego and prideful manner. He pulls up a tree as his weapon to fight the armless knight. So grown great through arrogant delight of the high descent whereof he was born, and through presumptions of his matchless might, all other powers and knighthood he did scorn. Such now he marcheth to this man forlorn, and left to lose, his stocking steps are stayed upon a snaggy oak, which he had torn out of his mother's bowels, and it made his mortal mace, wherewith his foeman he dismayed. As soon as the giant sees the Red Cross Knight, he advances in a fury. The knight, however, is helpless after drinking the cursed spring water. In the full armor of God, even the giant Orgoglio would have no power over the knight. However, with his virtue compromised, his armor out of reach, and the effects of the enchanted water, the Red Cross Knight is no match for the approaching giant. That when the knight he spied, he gan advanced with huge force, an insupportable mane, and toward him with dreadful fury prance, who hapless and eke hopeless all in vain did to him pace, sad battle to derain, disarmed, disgraced, and inwardly dismayed, and eke so faint in every joint and vein. Through that frail fountain, which him feeble made, that scarcely could he wield his bootless single blade. The Red Cross Knight was able to dodge the first blow that would have crushed him like a flower. However, he is so weak that the wind blows him over, and he falls senseless to the ground. The giant struck so manly merciless that could have overthrown a stony tower, and were not heavenly grace that did him bless. He had been poldered all, as thin as flour, but he was wary of that deadly stour, and lightly leapt from underneath the blow. Yet so exceeding was the villain's power, that with the wind it did him overthrow, and all his senses stound, 
that still he lay full low. The giant is compared to a monstrous machine used in violent war, spitting forth fire and bullets and thundering noise, causing the very air to be so filled with smoke as to choke its victims. The fallen knight has difficulty breathing. And when the devilish iron engine wrought in deepest hell, the framed by fury skill with windy night and quick sulfur fought and rammed with bullet round, ordained to kill, conceiveth fire, the heavens it doth fill with thundering noise, and all the ire doth choke. That none can breathe, nor see, nor hear at will, through smoldery cloud of dusky stinking smoke, that the only breath him daunts, who hath escaped the stroke. The giant, with the enormous mace in hand, raises it high with the intent of pulverizing the fainting knight. Duessa, however, not out of charity, but out of malice, pleads for the Red Cross knight's life. She offers her body to the giant in return for his life, and tells the giant to imprison the Red Cross knight which would better serve her revenge as it stretches out his suffering. So daunted when the giant saw the knight, his heavy hand he heaved up high, and him to dust thought to have battered quite. Until Duessa loud to him can cry, O great Orgoglio, greatest under sky, O hold thy mortal hand for lady's sake, hold for my sake, and do him not to die. But vanquish thine eternal bond-slave make, and me, thy worthy meed, unto thy leman take. The giant agrees and takes the false Duesso into his arms. She immediately embraces him as her lover, which is fitting, for they complement each other. The giant represents pride, Duessa represents deceit. The giant picks up the unconscious body of the Red Cross Knight and takes him back to his castle and locks him in a dungeon. He hearkened, and did stay from further harms to gain so goodly guerdon as she spake. So willingly she came into his arms, who her as willingly to grace did take, and was possessed of his new-found mate. Then up he took the slumbered senseless course, and ere he could, out of his swoon awake, him to the castle brought his hasty force and in a dungeon deep him threw without remorse. Duessa immediately becomes the giant's lover. So far her lovers have been Sans Foy, who represents faithlessness, Sans Joy, who represents joylessness, and Sans Loy, who represents lawlessness. Now she embraces pride. The giant gives her gold and purple silk to wear and triple crowns. She represents the whore of Babylon. Duessa, from that point on, became the giant's mistress. From that day forth, Duessa was his dear, and highly honored in his haughty eye, and gave her gold and purple pal to wear, and triple crown set on her head full high, and her endowed with royal majesty. Then for to make her dreaded more of man and people's hearts with awful terror type, a monstrous beast he bred in filthy fen he chose, which he had kept long time in darksome den. The monster is compared to the beast in Revelation 12 with seven heads and ten horns. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, 
And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. The giant, however, is even uglier. Such one it was, as that renowned snake which great Alcides in Stramona slew, long fostered in the filth of Lerna Lake, whose many heads outbudding ever knew, did breed him endless labor to subdue. But this same monster much more ugly was, for seven great heads out of his body grew, an iron breast and back of scaly brass, and all imbrued in blood, his eyes did shine as glass. The giant is also compared to Lucifer, who is described in Revelation 12. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Duessa is placed upon the giant's shoulders, suggesting the following scene in Revelation 12. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her head was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. The beast has extorted power and borrowed strength. Like casting pearls before swine, the beast tramples on sacred things. His tail was stretched out in wondrous length, that to the house of heavenly gods it wrought, and with exhorted power and borrowed strength, the ever-burning lamps from thence it brought, and proudly threw to ground as things of naught. And underneath his filthy feet did tread the sacred things, the holy heast foretaught. Upon this dreadful beast with sevenfold head he set the false Duessa for more awe and dread. Join us next week as we continue the adventures of the Red Cross Knight. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.